I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of The Woman in Tech Show, a podcast about what we work on, not what it feels like to be a woman in tech. For more information about the show, go to wit.fm. There are different roles related to the execution of a project. Some examples are program manager, project manager, and product manager. John C. Reddy, principal technical program manager at Microsoft, explained the differences between these roles. We also talked about how to transition from a developer role into a program manager role. Other topics that were covered are conflict resolution and building trust with customers. Jansi, welcome to the Women in Tech show. Thank you, Elena, for having me. I'm looking forward to speaking with you and your audience. Yes, I'm excited to have you on the show, especially because we've worked on projects together as part of you know, CSE and Microsoft, and you're in program management. So first, I want to begin talking about this space. From your opinion, is there a difference between roles like program manager, project manager, and product manager? Yes, I think there is. And it also, again, it also depends on the company. I think various um, organizations have this role defined slightly differently. I can maybe talk about my version of what these three various roles mean, right? So let's uh, maybe focus on product management first. So by definition, product managers kind of own the success of the project throughout the product life cycle. So they will be involved in design, development, what features to work on, maybe working with customers and customer feedback, adoption, what does the roadmap look like? So they basically manage the end-to-end version of the product. Whereas the project managers are, in my opinion, more on the execution aspect. They don't plan as much. They maybe don't design. They may not have that much customer interactions, but they work on like day-to-day execution. Especially I see a lot of project managers involved in large projects with a lot of uh, dependencies that they want to manage. So they'll be working on maybe chunking it into smaller tasks, whether it be t-shirt sizing or Fibonacci sizing and planning in such a way that the project gets executed on time. And then the technical program managers, that's what the uh, topic that I am most passionate about. They are more kind of liaison between customer and engineering. So they work on how things are implemented. They are also involved in prioritization and delivery of the features. And they're also part of core engineering team and they're closer to engineering team, in my opinion, compared to product managers and project managers. You come from a software engineering background, a traditional developer role. From your experience, what have been some of the main differences between a program manager role and the developer role? Yes, so they are obviously different. As a program manager, you are um, thinking about the overall execution of your project or a product. 
Whereas a developer, you're mostly working on a smaller piece of the whole ecosystem, right? So you maybe own a feature, you're working on how you want to, you plan to implement that features, keeping engineering fundamentals in mind, kind of going very, very deep into that particular feature aspect of the project. Whereas a PM is kind of thinking about how all the features that are being developed by various developers are kind of going to work together and how it all comes together. It's kind of putting the pieces of puzzles together to form in the whole piece, right? So in my opinion, it's they are slightly different. And, you know, the overview, it, one could be maybe like a 5,000 feet overview is what PMs do, whereas developers are kind of closer to the feature and implementation. Earlier, you highlighted that a technical program manager is somebody that's between the customers and the engineering. And also you're talking about how you're involved in the overall execution. It sounds like you get to work with a lot of different people. And one of the things I think a lot about is conflict is something inevitable in these cases. So what are your takes and how you handle conflict and how you can manage it to get to a resolution? Yeah, that's a great question, Irena. And, you know, it's not only for program managers, for anybody who's working in a corporate environment, we always, you know, come across some situations where there is going to be conflict either with other teams or, you know, within your team with other individuals. So I think managing a conflict is, you know, one of the, you know, qualities that we all need to learn as employees. So my approach to that is that, First of all, acknowledge that there is going to be difference of opinions or also on difference of viewpoints on a particular topic. And I try to go with a, you know, open and growth mindset, right? So, and also it is the way that you approach, let's say that you're having a conflict with another person on your team. Don't be accusatory, right? Oh, you said this, or I think this is correct. Instead, go with, you know, can you help me understand or can you help me solve this problem? So if you kind of go with that being vulnerable and being, I want to work with you and learn and solve this problem instead of saying that, you know what, you you did this wrong or I think this is right. I found that approach to be, you know, working in most of the scenarios. And also one other thing that I would like to suggest is that start saying that, you know what, let's try this, right? To say that, do this experiment. Like, for example, we were recently working on a project where the project team has gotten really, really big. And we were having one stand-up with like 25 people. So we wanted to approach this, like, can we do it in a different way? Maybe dividing the big, you know, team into different work streams. So instead of saying that, you know, we are just going to go do and try this, what we suggested is that let's experiment with this work stream approach and each work stream can have their own stand-ups, their own sprint ceremonies. So when you put in that word experiment, that means that it's not permanent, right? You're going to try something and if it doesn't work, you can always make changes. So that worked in, in that particular example. So again, you know, to summarize, going with that open mindset definitely helps. Another thing that I think it's important and I'm really curious of is building trust. When you are a program manager or a tech lead, I think you get to work with new teams, new customers. 
and building trust with them is something very important. What is your take on how you can build trust from new customers? Yes. So as you know, in CSC, we are a global organization and we also work very, very closely with customers on our code with engagements. And every few months we are working with, you know, new customer and new engineering teams, right? So initially there is this, you know, like, do they even trust us to kind of share some of the problems they are experiencing and also kind of work openly with us, right? So building that trust, especially during these virtual times, is really, really hard. So I want to acknowledge that. As you know, before COVID times, we would actually go to our customer location and, you know, we spend maybe three, four days working with them, brainstorming some ideas, whiteboarding together. And, you know, in that process, we would be maybe eating lunch and then also go out to dinner together. You kind of get to know them at this slightly more personal level. And that builds trust, right? And not having such opportunity, especially in this virtual environment, is really challenging. So some of the things that we've tried and some of the projects that I worked on recently, especially during this remote virtual scenarios, is that we tried some icebreaker activities to get to know either our own team members or customer uh, team members better. So as part of our weekly print retrospectives, we had some activity, right? What was your last purchase from Amazon or, you know, from online store or, you know, what is your uh, you know favorite drink? Something personal that we would ask them so that we get to know them and they get to know us. And I found that, you know, having these icebreaker activities and also genuinely being curious about folks and asking about, you know, how was your day? How was your weekend? It really builds a trust with, uh, you know, either customers or within your team members. Being in charge of the overall execution and collaborating with developers who you said work on pieces of the whole ecosystem, how would you approach a case where the developer team is constantly not meeting deadlines? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's also goes to the problem of, you know, why trying to understand why they're not meeting deadlines. And it also could be a problem of estimating, right? So when we do sprint planning, as you know, we are committing to getting a chunk of work done. And sometimes even the user story or the feature that you're planning to take up the scope is not completely defined. There are a lot of unknowns, right? So if you have something like that, that you assigned something like that to a developer, maybe they are doing investigations in that process. They found more issues or some incompatibilities and thinking that maybe that's why they didn't get that work done. So I know having this activity of either during like a prioritization exercise or sprint planning, really going deep on the individual user stories and trying to make sure that everybody understands what implementing that user story means, right? What is the definition of done for that user story? What is the acceptance criteria? Do everybody understand, you know, what needs to be developed for that user story? So I think most of the time, I would say 80 to 90% of the time, the developers are not meeting the deadlines because the scope is not set correctly. So 
what I encourage in my projects is that let's have like a spike user story where you're actually figuring out what to implement first and then have, you know, once you know the details of, you know, these are exactly four things that I need to implement this feature, then you can have another user story where you can define what that feature should be. So I, I would say majority of the time, it's a lack of understanding on the scope. But, you know, there are generally times where either maybe they need some help and they're not asking for help. So maybe having a one-on-one -on -one with that particular developer or a team and trying to brainstorm some ideas on how we can help them with this process. Maybe another senior developer or some other subject matter expert can help them unblock if they're blocked. So these are some of the strategies that I use in my projects. You're talking about figuring out what to implement first and then based on that, coming up with user stories and related work for this. In one blog post that you wrote, I read that since you were coming from a traditional developer background, once you were in the program manager role, one of the things you struggled with was how much are you involved in the implementation discussions and figuring this out. So to the extent that you don't end up micromanaging developers, right? Can you talk a bit about how you approach this? Yeah, definitely. So I want to be there you know, for the developers to kind of help organize, but I don't want to at the same time, like you mentioned, right, micromanage. I'm not going to be asking other than during the stand-up times, right, you know, what is the status like multiple times and that is micromanaging right asking and making sure that you know somebody is updating you their status you know several times a day that is micromanaging so and also give them autonomy to experiment and implement right so you know maybe I want to know the details maybe that could be something that they can bring up in the design reviews where the whole team can participate and give feedback Whereas I don't want to say that, oh, you know, maybe you should implement like this, right? And that's not what a PM should be doing. It's up to developers and maybe their mentors are their devilly to kind of figure out the approach for architecture. How did you approach it? Because at some point you realize, oh, I think I might be leaning toward micromanagement. Or I don't know if I interpreted your blog post correctly, but it seemed like you were aware of potentially ending up micromanaging because of, you know, your dev background? Yes, I would say that, you know, as per my blog post, I kind of made that mistake initially when I moved from being a developer to PM because I wanted to know the details, right? And I also had a say because I was very close to that code that I actually wrote. And then I was also a PM on that team. So I was, I think, Going back to my comfort zone, I, I can I know how to develop this, so I'm gonna maybe talk more about that with the developers and brainstorm ideas and development. And in that process, I was kind of overlooking my PM role, right? Because it was new to me and I needed to learn that craft of PMing. So I think once I kind of separated myself from that and started more on the execution and PM uh, part of my job, things got much better. As I mentioned earlier, you come from a developer role and transition into a PM role. From your experience, how has having been a developer before helped you in your role as a program manager? Yes, that's a great question, Elena. I think especially for a technical program manager role, it is super helpful for me. So what I'm 
realizing is that being a developer, I get the viewpoint of the developer, right? So I can definitely help with the prioritization and organization because I understand the sequence of things and when it comes to development. So maybe I can give you an example. Let's say that you have a feature that you want to implement as part of your project. There is a UI team and there is a backend team. So in terms of sequence of events and how I organize it and how I prioritize these in the project, since I come from the development background, I know that you know the UI team is waiting to connect to the backend team. So maybe I can say that, you know, backend team, let's get like a Swagger API or, or API contract first, even though you have not started the development, right? That way UI team is unblocked and they're gonna, you know, start working on, you know, integration part. Meanwhile, you know, we can start working on the backend next, right? So just to be able to prioritize, I now know the details of how things are done, what API contracts are, how does Swagger work, right? So I think just the, sequencing of the work and estimation of the work. I can really work with the development lead to do like a, uh, estimations and kind of help him or her come up with the right estimations because I come from the development background, right? And also when I'm involved in customer conversations, I can walk them through some scenarios of similar work that I've done with other customers. So for example, recently you're working with a customer where they're planning to do some uh, machine learning algorithms to detect some text from some of the forms that they're having, right? So they wanted to do like a full-on machine learning models, but what we wanted to suggest was that, you know, why don't you try like a quick out-of-the-box solution, like an OCR first, right? So I was able to articulate my experience working with the other customers and having that architecture discussions. We approached it in a kind of a crawl, walk, run. And then we say that, you know, maybe to start with, you do this small thing, then you add more functionality in your next sprint, right? So being able to articulate that, you know, I was able to use my developer skills and, and explain it to the customer. So having developer skills certainly helps in the program manager role. Does not having them put you at a disadvantage? Um, again, it, it depends on what type of program management uh, that you're talking about, like back to your first question, Irena. So if it is maybe a project management or a little bit more marketing-driven product role, maybe as needed. But definitely, if, if you're a technical program manager, I feel like, you know, I am able to function, you know, better in having that development background. What is a realistic plan to start transitioning from a developer role to a program manager role? Yes, I can talk through my journey and also give some tips to your listeners. If your group or if your team has some sort of a shadowing opportunity, I would say that maybe for a small project or for some part of the project, you know, go and shadow a program manager like the role that you want to be in right that way you can kind of you know join in their meetings and they kind of observe them in their day-to-day -day activities and see what does it entail right what type of activities they're involved in what is their typical day look like so you'll get a good understanding of what you might be getting into and also trying to you know figure out what flavor of a product management or program management or 
TPM role that you want to do. So just maybe reading up on that or talking to a few folks who are doing various flavors of this uh, PM, you know, is another thing you can do. And then the other very good advice that I got is that if possible, try to make that switch within your own organization or company because it's much easier because you're not changing too many things at a time. You already know people, you know the projects they're doing. So you're just, you know, changing your role from being a developer to PM. So those are some of the things that I would do to kind of have a realistic plan of transitioning from a dev to a PM. What would you say to someone that's coming out of school and they're undecided if they want to take a developer role or a program manager role? Yeah, if you're not sure, you know, maybe try being a developer first and then maybe have in the back of your mind talking to a few folks, you know, who are in the PM role, like I mentioned before, and see if that is something that interests you. But at the end of the day, what I would say is that really think about, you know, what is that, you know, that gets you excited to go to work every single day, right? If, you know, getting into the code and, you know, writing a lot of code or, you know, solving these technical problems through code is something that you are really, really passionate about and that's what excites you, you know, maybe starting as a developer, at least in the beginning, is the right thing to do. Whereas as a typical PM, if you want to kind of think through the overall strategy and how the project is implemented, how you want to collaborate with various teams to get things done back to kind of putting those puzzle pieces together, maybe, you know, starting as a PM is not a bad idea. So it depends on what your interest is and and what is that you're most passionate about. One thing I really admire from working with you and being in meetings with you is how mindful you are about taking breaks and make sure we step out for a bit, especially in long meetings. And we were talking a while ago and you're mentioning how yoga is such a big part of your day-to-day. Can you talk a bit about this? Yeah, sure. Yes, as you know, we get digital overload nowadays, especially with the virtual experience. So Taking those micro breaks is so important. And I know that right now there are a lot of tools that are available. There are apps that you can download. And I think if you're on Teams, there are some plugins that are there. The tool doesn't really matter, right? I think what matters is, are you taking those micro breaks and what you're doing in those micro breaks, like whether you're doing like a small stretches right at your desk or you have like the standing desk, right? Instead of sitting all the time, you're standing and maybe doing little stretches. It makes so much difference because, you know, having like back-to-back meeting and, you know, not moving is not good for you. And at the same time, it's very hard to focus if you don't have those breaks. So, yeah, I consciously try to take as many breaks as I can. And even in some of the meetings, like all hands, where you don't have your video on, like doing small you know, stretches with your hands or, you know, kind of, a, you know, standing up and stretching. It, it's a good thing. And having those little breaks is so important, Elena. Well, John C., thank you for coming on the show. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much, Elena. I really enjoyed talking to you and uh, saying hi to all your listeners. Thanks again. 